I don't feel this way. I promise you. I am a professional, objective podcast host. I don't care who plays in the Super Bowl. I'm excited for it. But, like, this was the matchup America didn't want. Next time we play an NFL game, it'll be for all the marbles. Super Bowl 58 on deck, of course. Had to revamp the set with all the nifty Super Bowl logos and colors. Welcome in to the NFL on Fox podcast. I'm Dave Hellman. Not quite Super Bowl time yet, but look, this this is America. This is the NFL. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do everything we can to build up the biggest sporting event in America, the biggest cultural phenomenon. So we're going to get into some Super Bowl talk already today, but there's so much more going on in the NFL, and I'm actually thrilled to have somebody in studio to talk about it with. Friend of the show, Carmen Vitale, joining me today. Hey, Carm. Hey, Dave. Can we put the Super Bowl logo uh, controversy slash conspiracy theory to bed forever? Did it have to even be a conspiracy theory? Like, be honest here. I'm so... I believe in Bigfoot. And I, I believe, I and I believe in aliens. I believe in aliens. I, I think it's arrogant not to. So, good point. Okay. I'm so sick of conspiracy theories. I know. Especially I ones that like, do you think like who, who is conspiring and is it that important? It feels like a no to me. So I'm glad we can put that to rest. Yeah. It's the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. It's red and red Taylor's version. It's good. I saw that. I saw that. I, it was a tweet on Twitter. I can't take credit for that. I saw that. It's really good. Yeah. All right. We got so much time to talk 49ers and, and Chiefs. We can do that later. But <laughs> it's great timing to have you here. Oh, and my wonderful producers reminding me to remind you, we'll have previews coming up this week as well as next week. We're going to take you through every facet of Super Bowl 58. Please make sure you go follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We got a YouTube channel. You know where to find us. We've been doing this for five months at this point. <laughs> we got you covered. Okay, now... There's a lot going on in the NFL right now, Carm, that has nothing to do with the Super Bowl. Let's start it in Seattle mm -hmm. because there is officially just one head coaching vacancy as the Seattle Seahawks have hired Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald as their head coach. He becomes the youngest coach in the NFL. Are you ready for this? Wild, right? 36 years old. Yeah. Running the show in the Seattle Seahawks. I think. Do you know how old the oldest coach in the NFL is right now? Uh, it would probably be Andy Reid, right? And you want to know how old he is? 63? 72, I Oh, seven. Okay. All right. So they're like, he's That's, like half his age. I mean, the guy he's replacing in Seattle, Pete Carroll, he's half Pete Carroll's age. Yeah. Like it's a... Maybe maybe that was what I was getting. It's a complete departure. And yeah. it's a little bit of a foregone conclusion. I think Mike McDonald was, he was one of the two names that everybody thought was definitely going to wind up as a head coach in this hiring cycle. Ironically, the other one was... Detroit offensive coordinator Ben Johnson, who said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going back to Detroit. But that kind of it left McDonald as like the one trendy right. young hire. And he winds up in Seattle knowing that we he's been on our radar for this long. Hey, I mean, what do you make of the hire for starters? I love it because this is a tradition that has been upheld in Seattle for a very long time is defense and having a really damn good defense. And that is what Mike McDonald 
architect. Like, he was the design he's designer. He was the architect of this wonderful Ravens defense that we couldn't stop talking about throughout the season. Number one in scoring defense, number one in pass defense, third overall in defensive play and uh, defensive yards per play allowed. I mean, it was a home run, I think. And, and the continuity that they're going to have is I really, I really like it because they got the, they have the offense, you know, the offense has been on lock even with a defensive head coach. And I am, I am curious to see who he hires as his offensive coordinator. And it's too early to know that the hire just got announced on Wednesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. But if you've got a guy who can oversee the Seahawks offense competently and like, and you have talent there, we'll get to that in a minute, but having Mike McDonald overseeing this defense, I absolutely love it. And I do love the way that it kind of maintains the DNA yeah. of what was successful in Seattle, Seattle. for so long. Because Pete Carroll is gone. Yeah. By the way, Andy Reid, 65. 65, to my okay. I was, I was getting confused with Pete Carroll. Don't, don't give Andy the extra eight You're right, years. you're right. Like, you're totally right. I should people have done already, that. That's the, it, he's half Pete Carroll's age. The next conspiracy theory is that Andy Reid is going to step down after the Super Bowl, which I refuse to Oh, that's, I was going to say, that's been brewing. Yeah in the underbelly of the NFL rumor cycle. But what I love about this is John Schneider, the longtime GM slash partner of Pete Carroll. He's still there. He's still there. He remembers what it was like to hit on a few draft picks, find yourself a cam chancellor and a Richard Sherman and an Earl Thomas and build from there. And I, it certainly seems like that's the goal here as well, because Pete Carroll didn't lose this job until the Seahawks defense slipped and boy, did it ever it slipped here in the last year or two. So you bring in not just the hottest defensive coordinator and a young guy with presumably a lot of energy, but a guy who clearly knows how to play defense against the schemes that have taken over yep. the NFL. I, I stole this a little bit from our buddy Ben Solak but I think he makes a good point that Mike McDonald is going into a division with Kyle Shanahan, Sean, Sean McVay. McVay. You got, I mean, there's obviously way more games to play than just the four you play against those teams, but it starts with winning the division. And if you can't succeed against those teams, then you're probably not going to win your division. So having a guy who knows how to build a defense that can stop a San Francisco is probably pretty important to the powers that be in Seattle. And I think that under the radar, what what he's going to be able to bring as far as his staff goes, look at the staff, his, his assistants in Baltimore, multiple guys that have had DC interviews, head coaching interviews. These are guys that he now can bring with him. And depending on how many guys, if you're talking what, uh, Denard Wilson has had D D DC interviews. Zach Orr, their inside linebackers coach. Obviously, Anthony Weaver, who's one of the finalists in Washington. If he can bring any of these guys or multiple of these guys, that could spell so much trouble for Baltimore because he's basically just going to make Baltimore West. We'll get to we'll get to the Baltimore aspect yep. of it in a minute. But it is if he could even get some of those guys that's to insane. go with him, that's definitely interesting. And I do think the cachet that he has as a hot name, as the, the new hotness, for lack of a better term, I think he could lure a quality OC. Like a, a guy. I mean, there's talent to work with there, whether you talk about, I think Geno Smith is a good quarterback, at least for the time being. You have DK. You have Tyler Lockett hanging around, although he's getting a little long in the tooth. You got some talented running backs. I feel good about the talent on hand, and especially we talked about this before we recorded. I'm sure this isn't why you take a job. 
But I can't help but notice that Seattle has a guy in Devin Witherspoon. They're, you know, coming off a phenomenal rookie year, the top five pick. He can do everything. Awful Kyle Hamilton-y. Awful Kyle Hamilton-y. To have a guy that can play five roles on the back end of your defense, it sure sounds, and to know that he's under contract for four more seasons, sounds like a hell of a jumping off point to me. I was going to say, sounds like a guy you can build around in Seattle. And they're going to need young guys as well in Seattle because we talked about this too. Seattle's going to be over the cap or is projected to be over the cap right now. And so there are going to have to be some decisions made with a Jamal Adams, with even Tyler Lockett, who are going to, who can save you a lot of money on that salary cap if you were to part ways with them. But that's a hard decision to make. It's going to be interesting to see. They're they're slightly over the cap. You, You could get under it by restructuring people. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, Jamal Adams, after the way his season went, you wonder if, if that's a cap casualty. Um, I don't know that people in Seattle really want him back. No, it, I mean, it, 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 it has gone very poorly yeah. for Jamal Adams here over the last calendar year. That wouldn't shock me terribly. Quandre Diggs, I think, is still a good player, but the bigger your cap hit, the more it makes you wonder about that. Sure. I would imagine, like, Tyler Lockett is a guy I would restructure before I tried to cut. Go right. But I think that depends also... Does Seattle see this as like we're a few tweaks away from being right there in the mix? I mean, they did finish with a winning record. Mm-hmm. They do still have Geno Smith under contract for two more years. They like, barely missed the playoffs. Couple nice draft picks. Couple a great coach bringing the the level of your defense up a little bit. Do they see themselves as pretty close, or is this more of a firm rebuild? I have a feeling we're going to find out really quickly into Mike McDonald's tenure. And then, okay. So that's the Seattle aspect yeah. of it. You mentioned this in Baltimore. I mean, it's a stable organization. I think the the vast majority of the important pieces of that team are coming back. Keep an eye on like Patrick Queen, mm-hmm. the young linebacker heading for free agency. But this should be an attractive job for Baltimore to to fill. And I wonder if they do it in-house or if they look somewhere else. Yeah, I... am again concerned with how many coaches that Mike McDonald is going to end up taking with him to Seattle. And if you look at this Baltimore team, part of the reason that offense was so successful, which I think we think the offense is kind of immune because this, you know, Mike McDonald doesn't necessarily affect the offensive side of the ball in Baltimore. Like hell, he doesn't. They were, they had the best turnover margin in the NFL. They, the Baltimore Ravens had the most takeaways, 31 takeaways as a defense that gave Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore offense so many more chances to score and it helped them be so much more productive. And when you're talking about significant staff changes, going exiting Baltimore, if it's multiple coaches, you're putting that in jeopardy and therefore you're putting your offense in jeopardy too, depending on how you fill this role. I have to think though that Harbaugh knew this was coming. Mike McDonald's name had been in this cycle for a long time and you don't see that and not try to make a contingency plan when you know it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that your defensive coordinator will be leaving after this season. So I'm very interested to see what John Harbaugh does. You know what I thought was really funny is so Mike McDonald, he cut his teeth in Baltimore. He was there for a decade. He started as an intern. Yeah. 10 years ago. But then he took one small detour to be defensive coordinator for John Harbaugh's brother, Jim, Jim. At, Michigan. at Michigan. That was the launch pad for him getting back to the league. It's funny to think, 
Harbaugh could have gone back that route and said, hey, what about your new DC, Jesse Minner? Mm-hmm. He's doing a hell of a job in the same system. Too bad Jim Harbaugh is the coach of the Chargers now and Jesse Minner's going with him. He's going with him. Yeah. I'm sh- I, I guarantee you there were jokes to be had between those two. Like, damn, I was ready to come get that guy. Not happening. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, Anthony Weaver's interesting to me. He's a finalist for the Washington job. Right. If he doesn't get it, that seems like it makes a hell of a lot of sense to just promote from within. We'll see where it goes. But let's now turn to that. There is now officially one NFL vacancy, and it's the Washington one, which shocks me, if I can be completely honest. And I think I'm, I'm learning a hard lesson that maybe, maybe this job wasn't as appealing as I thought mm-hmm. it was. Because like, I'm, a, I'm a draft freak, obviously. Yes, both of us are. I look at this. I looked at this opening heading into it, and I would have said the Chargers' job was the most appealing, just because yeah. Justin Herbert's there. Yeah, but I would have put Washington very close after that mm-hmm. because they have they lead the league in cap space for starters, eighty three million dollars. So you have a a blank slate, slate in right. terms of what you want to do with that. They have nine draft picks, five of which are in the top 100 because they traded Montez Sweat and Chase Young away midseason. You're going to need that cap space. (laughs) I mean, fair. And they have the number two overall pick. So, like, by the end of the spring, the commanders, who already have some talent on their team, like, you got Jahan Dotson, you got Terry McLaurin, you got Jonathan Allen. They're not completely talent bereft. But they don't have the most important part. The quarterback. Yeah. But that you have the number two overall pick. Yeah, that's it's true. And it's a good quarterback class. And I think between Caleb Williams and Drake May, there's not as much of a gap as most people think. I would have thought the uh, the opportunity to draft either Caleb Williams or Drake May would have made this a more intriguing mm-hmm. opening mm-hmm. than apparently it is because they're the last job filled. It's fallen through with a couple guys. It notably fell through with Ben Johnson. We'll get to his side of this in a minute. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Maybe is there is there a lack of trust that the new ownership under Josh Harris is is really going to take things as far forward as people are hoping? Is it because of what Washington lacks right now in terms of facilities? I would say probably the worst stadium in the NFL based on personal experience. <laughs> I was going to say it's definitely down down on the list uh, for me as well. I think, I mean, the drastic overhaul that this entire franchise needed from the facilities to the staff to ownership, all of that kind of stuff. There's been a lot of changeover, but not the stuff doesn't happen overnight. And I do think that Washington is probably a couple of years off from really truly being that attractive landing spot that a lot of these coaches would have coveted. And to be quite honest, Josh Harris's group, I mean, they haven't it, it hasn't been proven to us that it's worked at the NBA level. The Sixers have not gotten over the hump. No, famously. Famously, infamously. So I, I, I can't, like you said, I can't trust that they know precisely what they're doing just because they're tearing stuff down to the studs. It's about how you build it back up and that is not going to happen overnight. So I think that we did take it for granted that looking at the cap space, looking at where they're drafting, all that other stuff, sure, it's great, but there's so much more that goes into an organization being functional that it's going to take a little bit more time for me. That's, I mean, that's true. But like I said, maybe it's just the ego of knowing the resources you have. But, and look, um, the, the commanders, they brought in a real deal GM, Adam Peters from San Francisco. So you're getting a guy that's been part of one of the most stable organizations 
He's learned from a, a team that knows how to build talented rosters. And you've got five top 100 picks yeah. and a chance to draft a quarterback. It, it, it sounds appealing to me, but that's me 3,000 miles away just saying, like, yeah, we're going to go get five badass players and we're going to win some ball games this year. That's fair. Maybe, maybe but it's a little think more about what all that. comes with being a head coach. It's, it's much more than just roster building. And unfortunately it's more than just coaching football. True. Which we'll, we'll see where it goes with our track record here on the NFL on Fox podcast. Washington's going to have a new head coach by the time we finish recording, but <laughs> the known finalists right now are Detroit defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, Dallas defensive coordinator, Dan, uh, Dan Quinn, and aforementioned Anthony Weaver, the associate head coach and D-line coach in Baltimore. So is it one of those guys? Does Washington do something a little outside the box now that a lot of the really attractive names have fallen through? I don't know, but... They, they, they still went to Detroit anyway, even after Ben Johnson pulled out of consideration and said he was staying. They were already, the reports were that Washington officials were already en route to Detroit when Ben Johnson told them that. No so they, but they still meant they still went to meet with Aaron Glenn. I understand that the Detroit defense had its shortcomings, but I will say after talking to so many players in Detroit, after talking to Aaron Glenn himself, who was a wonderful, wonderful person to talk to, he is a leader. He is absolutely one of those Dan Campbell types that can rally his troops, rally his staff, rally the players. Everyone Every player I've talked to loves playing for Aaron Glenn. Every coach I've talked to loves coaching for Aaron Glenn. And that is a huge part of being a head coach. So that's, if that's me, I guess, throwing Aaron Glenn's name. I, just, I, I feel like say, he hasn't just, gotten. No, he definitely hasn't. He has flown under the radar. Flown completely under the radar. And I feel like people are looking at the shortcomings of Detroit's defense, much of which were injury related, and saying, how could this guy get the bump up? I think maybe he's still. Um, he, he could do it with another year of being a corner, but he's not young. He's seen a lot of stuff. And uh, I, I, I can't stress enough how much players have expressed to me, coaches unpromptedly have expressed to me how much they love playing or coaching for Aaron Glenn. Now, I think you could say very similar things about Dan Quinn. I for think sure. Quinn, come, Quinn comes with baggage at this point because of A, the famous stuff that everybody remembers, sure. like the collapse in the Super Bowl. But also, it was a it was a disappointing finish for the Cowboys this, this year, year down the stretch, obviously in the playoffs. But for a team like Washington, that straight up, like nobody in that organization knows what it's like to have good culture and expectation <laughs> of winning. I think Aaron Glenn and Dan Quinn both. This sounds crazy to say about the Lions, but... Aaron Glenn now comes from a culture where you know what it's like to build upward and experience, you know, upward growth trajectory right. from from bad to mediocre to outright. So much so that he's the only coordinator in Detroit that's willing to leave. <laughs> which we're, we're going to get to Ben, I promise you. But I, I think similar things could be said about Dan Quinn. You get a guy that's been in a program that's won 12 games, three consecutive years. It might not be sexy, but that could be meaningful for a team like Washington that right now just, just needs a culture. Yep. So something to keep an eye on. Now, let's talk about the biggest surprise of the coaching carousel. I think, I think it's more surprising right now that Ben Johnson, Lions OC, is not a head coach than Bill Belichick. I would agree with that. Because I can point out all of the reasons why this, the shine is off a of Belichick sure. star and yada, yada, yada. Ben Johnson, not only is he the hotshot guy who's been good every year, but he coaches offense and he gets things out of quarterbacks and that is what everybody wants. And so the fact, and the fact that he 
didn't want it is incredible. And yeah. to your point, it says a lot about what's going on with the Detroit Lions. I think that that was the biggest factor or my first reaction when I saw that Ben Johnson was staying in Detroit. I was like, wow, is this an endorsement for Dan Campbell and the culture that is in Detroit? It is everything we all think it is. It is everything that I've seen it be over the last two seasons. So much so that I heard the same things that I think it was Adam Schefter that initially reported that Ben Johnson's asking price spooked a lot of teams. And I can corroborate this with the stuff that I heard, which is his asking price was a lot. And I think it comes from the fact that Ben Johnson was like, if you're gonna pull me away from this team where we've built something so special and Detroit seems so close to being able to get to a Super Bowl, which is what it seems like Ben Johnson is like the ultimate football guy who wants a Super Bowl and values that over the money. It's going to take a lot for you to, to pry me away from this situation that I really enjoy that has a young core to build around where they're so receptive to everything that Ben Johnson does. And I I've talked to defensive coaches even on uh, in, in Detroit that tell me that as far back as training camp, they would have answers finally to something that Ben Johnson was trotting out there. And the next day, Ben Johnson would have answers for whatever they just did. And they would be completely stumped again. This is a guy that works so incredibly hard and can absolutely evolve with this Detroit team to make them better and to get them over the hump with, in what's undoubtedly going to be a tougher field next year. You can tell looking around at the accounts and the reporters that talk to agents and front offices and things like that, like there's some degree of um, people were insulted that Ben Johnson would like ask for this much money. Like, who do you think you are? You got to have like a more realistic expectation, but I love the idea that Ben Johnson is like, Oh no, no, I don't necessarily expect anybody to pay me that. Right. That's just what I want if you're going to make me leave this situation that I love very much and think so highly of. And I mean, he's come out and, and talked about how much his wife and his family love Detroit. And again, Dan Campbell is one of those guys that just makes you want to run through a brick wall for him. So this is, I think it also has to do again with, you look at the guys that really popped off for this Detroit offense this year, Sam Laporta, rookie, Jameer Gibbs, rookie. You look at even Amon Ross St. Brown in his third year, and you have David Montgomery. You have so many fun pieces to work with on top of having one of, if not the best offensive lines in football, which GM Brad Holmes really focuses on. That's how he built this team was through the trenches. You can't ask for a better situation as a coordinator. And I have to imagine that even though it was reported that Ben Johnson is not getting any more money as a coordinator, he has to be one of the highest paid oh. coordinators in the league at this point because of everything that he brings to this team and, and where he's gotten them. He got a raise last year when he yeah. pulled his name out of the hat. And I guarantee, guarantee you, you one's coming again. He's going to get another one, which, OK, you just touched on it, but it makes a lot more sense when you dive into what the lions are right now as well, because, and we talked about it on Sunday. There's no way around it. They blew an opportunity. Sure. You lose a 17 point lead in the second half of a conference championship game, but it's easy to get swept up in like, it, it is hard to make it back. And I love Dan Campbell having the honesty to say, sure. we might not ever do this again. Cause so many teams haven't. Right. But the future looks a lot brighter than I initially realized. Uh -huh. if I'm being honest. Uh -huh. Like, you sit here and you say, oh, it, it, it's the Lions. Like, you just, you don't associate them with sustained success. And then you dive into it. This Detroit Lions team that won 11 games 
has a projected $60 million in cap space. The only like crazy contracts that they are paying out right now are to Jared Goff, Taylor Decker, and Frank Ragnow. Yeah. Those are like the only, and, and all those guys are set up. Like, yeah. other than Jared Goff, which, by the way, if the Lions are willing to extend him this year, which I think they will, they can create more cap space. Right. So $60 million is the basement. They Exactly. And on top of that, nobody truly, truly impactful is a free agent. Like, no. Jonah Jackson, left guard, good player. He's he's your only major free agent on offense. I was going to say, and it, he does factor in very, very heavily. He does, but you could afford to bring him back with all of that money. Sure could. Emmanuel Mosley and uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, both good players, both spent a healthy chunk of the season injured anyway. Yep. yep. So you can't sit here and tell me losing those guys is detrimental to your team when they got to the conference championship game. You're going to need to tweak your pass, to, like your, your, your defensive secondary regardless, because that ended up still being uh, an issue this year after it was the year before, but it was again, injury related. It was CJ Gardner Johnson being out, Emmanuel Mosley being out for all, but like a portion of a game where he tore his other ACL heartbreaking. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are the holes you need to fill. You obviously Everybody could always use another edge. You need someone on the other side of Aiden Hutchinson. But that being said, Aiden Hutchinson is only in his second year. Yeah. And he was a first round pick. So you have him under team control for their, another three years. They still, is, they have Panay Sewell under team control for, they're going to pick up his fifth year option. Oh, absolutely. So, so at least two more years. And they have four picks in the top 100 of the draft this year. They got an extra one for trading TJ Hawkinson. Yep. And these aren't, these aren't big sexy picks because they won so many games. They no. don't pick until 30th in the first round of the draft this year, but look at what Brad Holmes did this year. And I get it. You're not going to get Brian Branch, Sam Laporta and Jameer Gibbs out of every draft class. Right. But if they find and Jack Campbell, we haven't even talked about Jack Campbell. He doesn't have the gaudy stats, but good God. I mean, I talked to Aaron Glenn before the season and this is before we got to see Jack Campbell really in action and I told him, I asked him kind of bluntly, like, make this make sense to me. An inside linebacker in the first round, after you also already took a running back, has come under a lot of scrutiny. Make it make sense. And Aaron Glenn told me he's going to be our middle linebacker for the next 10 to 12 years. And I was like, well, when you put it like that, I kind of get it. If you add one difference maker in the draft, a, a starter. Right. That's, that's good. That's a win. Yeah. And I trust him to do it based on what they've been doing recently. So you add that to the money to add free agents or retain your own free agents because you can afford to pay them. What I'm trying to say is I didn't think this on Sunday night. Right. And then I spent some time looking at it and I was like, oh, when it comes time for us to make all of our preseason lists and who we think is going to make the Super Bowl and who's going to be at the top of the power rankings... The Lions are going to be right there. Vegas has them as the third best Super Bowl odds already. That, I, would, I would put them behind the two teams playing in this year's game. That's, that's all that they're behind. I can't think of a whole lot of others. No? And what I love is they have all the intangibles too, which we don't talk enough about. We have You have the stuff on paper. So often though, we see teams that on paper are great, doesn't really end up working out. But the Lions have that that grittiness, it's literally their team motto is all grit. It's everywhere at Ford Field. But you, I was in that locker room after they lost this past weekend and every single player was pissed. Panay Sewell, most, most pissed. Seems like a fiery guy. Uh, he was. He, you know, 
linebacker Alex Anzalone had kind of the wherewithal and the perspective to say, you know, we did accomplish a lot this year. We got a lot better. We did things that no other Lions team has ever done, hosted a, you know, hosted a playoff game at Ford Field, won the NFC North. They hadn't, last time they won in the division, it was something, it was the NFC Central. He had the perspective to say that. Everyone else, including Panay Sewell, was like, that shit doesn't matter. He, that's a direct quote. Yeah, you, it's a podcast. You can curse. Okay, you're, great. You're all good. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that was not, and that was not me for the record. That was Panay Sewell. And every other guy was like, this, this stings. This is awful. It doesn't matter if we went out the first game of the playoffs, if we didn't make the playoffs, or we went out now, the result is the same. We're not playing for a Super Bowl. And that was our goal. That's what we knew we were capable of. So on top of the motivation they had this year, which was the underdog lions, the chip on their shoulder, all that kind of stuff, they now have the experience of being in an NFC championship game and having the Super Bowl within reach and having it ripped away from them. That gives them so much more motivation and it gives them, please believe that Dan Campbell will be just poking the bear every chance he gets saying, you remember what it was like being on that field last year? Do you remember when I got pushed out of the way so that I to make room for the NFC championship trophy to come on the field in the 49ers? He, he's going to do his Stefan Diggs, Jalen Hurts thing. Sure. This Everybody in the sporting world just has to watch the other team celebrate a championship. Well, Dan Campbell didn't do that. He, he got was, the hell out of there. He, well, he was, he was just con, kind of consoling his guys and, and doing all of that. And on the field, he talked about this with his team afterwards because he, he told reporters about it. They were moving him out of the way so they could set up the stanchions and the stage for the NFC Championship trophy. And the players looked at that and they were like, you're moving Dan Campbell out of the way? Who are you? They took personal offense to that because this is a guy, again, they will run through a brick wall for. And me just talking about it, I want to run through a brick wall. You're like getting heated up I know, because that is the reaction that Dan Campbell elicits. That's what makes him such a good coach. It also means, you know, he's aggressive by nature, regardless of situation, which we saw in the NFC Championship game, which is a whole other conversation that we didn't kind of budget for in the plans today. But you live by the sword, you die by it. But these guys will take it up for him anytime, anywhere. And that's what I heard in the locker room. Lions fans, I look, it's going to take a long time to get over what happened in Santa Clara, but I hope we've done a good job of restoring your optimism here yeah. with this with this little diatribe. And <laughs> you don't have to take our words for it either. Ben Johnson just told you just what told he you. thinks. So look, I can't guarantee they get back. I can't guarantee it ever happens for them, but so much cause for optimism yep. in Detroit. There was anyway, but keeping Ben Johnson, I just think it just keeps the ball rolling in a big way. All right. That's the the major, major coaching news, but a couple other news uh, news items I want to get to. One of them happened while we were prepping for the show. Mm-hmm. We'll keep it right in your division, the NFC North, because the Green Bay Don't Packers. You love how attention-seeking my division is. <laughs> Honestly, yes. There's there's been so many storylines coming out of my division this year. Honestly, I love it because it's easy to plan a podcast. I know. The Green Bay Packers have hired Boston College head coach Jeff Halfley as their defensive coordinator. I was a little shook to see that it was a power five head coach that did this. And like, I'll leave the college football discussion for Joel Klatt for the most part. But this just underlies what I've thought for a while, which is, look, the NFL is harder than college, like the games. It's a higher level of talent. Yep. Coaching in the NFL is so much easier. It's you, so much. I, I don't know that I would classify it as easier. It's a lot less 
time consuming. Less demanding, maybe? Yes. Isn't that a nicer way of saying easier? I mean, I think there's some nuance. Look, it's easier in the sense that from here on out, Jeff Halfley doesn't have to recruit. He's going to be in his office at Lambeau Field watching tape and having meetings. And that's about it. Yeah. And and game planning when it gets to that part of the season. Right. Installing. You know what he's not going to do? He's not going to be traveling to recruit. He's not going to be pitching his own players on why they shouldn't enter the transfer, the transfer portal, portal right. or putting out fires as to what's going on with NIL. Yep. Is this guy may like it is, is his the situation wild, okay? wild west it's, in, it's insane. Yes. And I like I've seen a lot of people saying this on social media. I don't think this will be the end of it. Like I I think college coaches are overwhelmed unless you are at one of the self-sustaining football factories like Ohio State or Alabama or, you know, LSU. Uh, <laughs> go Tigers. Go Tigers. Uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. Even, no? Even if you're giving up some monetary I was going to say, that's the big thing but, that will still keep some of these head coaches employed in college because the money, I know this is probably not what you would expect, the money in college, apples to apples, if you're doing a college head coach, power five head coach versus an NFL head coach, most of the time, a power five head coach is making more money. The coaching salaries in college are much higher than yeah, but the NFL head coach. But I would and, take- and when it's a coordinator position in the NFL, you're taking even more of a pay cut. However, I would take that cut exactly because some still, semblance of work life. You're balance. still making between like three and five million dollars as a coordinator. So I, it's and you don't have to recruit. You don't have to deal with the NIL headache. You don't have to deal with the transfer portal headache. And you just get to talk ball. Talk ball and like, you know, Brian Gutekunst is going to drop by your office every now and then and be like, what do you think about the DB from Toledo? You like him? Does right. he fit what we want to do? Yes, he fits what we want to do. Is that all? Cool. All right. Now I'm back to putting my game. This my is something I hadn't considered together. until just now because there's a lot of the, the Packers have invested a lot of draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. What better way to continue that trend than with a guy that was just in college? True. That knows who these guys are, can evaluate them really well, and knows how to coach them. Which, speaking of, okay, so he was at Boston College. Yeah. What else What else do we know about half? Well, he was in the NFL. He has about seven seasons of NFL experience. He was on staff with both Kyle Shanahan and Mike LaFleur, not Matt, but Mike, his brother, uh, in San Francisco and Cleveland, I believe. So he has been a longtime friend of Matt LaFleur, given these everybody's connected, right? Like uh, these, these guys don't, the, especially in the Shanahan world, especially in the Shanahan world where he, we were talking uh, earlier about a guy that knows how to defend these Shanahan McVay offenses. Guess what? Guess who the bears just hired? Shane Waldron comes from that tree. You look at, I mean, it, Ben Johnson is, is a breed all his own, which is another reason why I think he's so highly coveted. He's zigging when others are zagging. Um, but this is a guy that knows how to shut down some of the best offenses in the league. He comes from a defensive backs background, Boston college, I believe was third ranked third nationally in pass defense last year. So that was one of the big points of emphasis for this green Bay Packers defense under Joe Barry was the pass defense was just not there. They were supposed to be this bend, not break 
type of defense. And it never quite worked out that way, especially earlier in the season where they did break and they broke a lot, especially with an, a young quarter, quarterback on the other side of the ball that really could have used some of those stops, uh, especially when he came from behind and won a few times or was going to win a few times, but you couldn't hold the lead. That might be part of it too. Like you mentioned his familiarity with college might help him draft talent. Yeah. This is also a situation where you should be able, a, a, a good coach should be able to step in and improve this defense. Like, yes. it's all there. How about, you have eight first-round picks when everyone is healthy on that side of the ball. Hey, Jeff, can you, can you have Jair Alexander press the shit out of people? Can you get more out of Quay Walker, Quay Devontae Walker. Wyatt, Rashawn Gary... Kenny Clark, I mean, I he's going to like, kind of big hack, cap it. Maybe, the, the, and what I love is, the and we don't know if it's going to work, obviously. I'm right. not going to overcommit, but this has been a storyline in Green Bay for two years now of right. like, they have all this talent. Surely they'll be good. And now we can just keep the dream alive. Right. Because with Joe Barry, we knew the answer was no. Even with the talent, they're not good. But now, a new coach, a new voice, a new scheme, maybe you get more out of it. And if Green Bay has a defense that's even close to as fun as its offense was, that's a hell of a fun team to talk about. Can't wait to see where that goes. All right, let's wrap it up. Another coordinator hire on the offensive side of the ball. The Pittsburgh Steelers mm. bringing on Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator. I actually really love this. What do you think? I'm so glad you said that because we're getting way too caught up with how these guys were as head coaches. How many times have we seen coordinators be really, really good as a coordinator when you only have to worry about one side of the ball, you only have to worry about the X's and O's, you don't have to deal with all of the extra stuff that comes with being a head coach. Arthur Smith was really good in Tennessee. He resurrected Ryan Tannehill's career. What I also love about Arthur Smith and what I think makes him such a good offensive coordinator is he's very well-rounded. He started out as a defensive QC, moved to offensive QC. Quality control. Quality control, I'm sorry. For those who are unaware. For those who are yeah, un un unfamiliar. Which basically just means you're a gopher for the You're a gopher the for, that, for that staff. So you get experience on both sides of the ball. Then you go O-line coach. Then you go tight ends coach. Then you get offensive coordinator. And there is a conversation to be had about tight end coaches and how good of coordinators they can make. Because think about the position of a tight end. You have to know everything about the offense in order to play that position well and especially to coach it. You need to understand the run game. You, you need to understand the passing game, obviously, because you're part of the receiving game. But you're an extension of that offensive line too. So having such a well-rounded, so much experience and such a well-rounded view of offense, I think this is good. And I don't understand why people are so quick to judgment. I get it didn't go well in Atlanta with him as a head coach, but sometimes... It, he's just a better coordinator and perhaps that's what's going to be the case. I'm not even, I'm not even discounting him as a, uh, getting another head coaching opportunity in the future, but can I, I can like I get on my like old man soapbox? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you why people are down on it. It's, I mean, jokes are always more fun than facts. It's the same. <laughs> it's true. the same reason why people are dogging on Philly for hiring Kellen Moore as their OC, even though, when he's had it was even like the Brandon Staley thing. I still didn't understand that where I was like, he could be a good coordinator again. Jokes are better than facts. Yeah, right. And, and here is my grumpy old man take. Okay. Fantasy football just ruins everybody's <sighs> perception of whether or not you're good at your job. So the fact that the fact that Drake London, Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson were fantasy liabilities 
means Arthur Smith sucks at his job. Okay. And that's just, that's not true. But look what he And did I say that I had Drake London on my fantasy team. <laughs> it sucked. I still think Arthur Smith can call a good offense. Look at what he did with Ryan Tannehill. He resurrected his, he was comeback player of the year in, uh, in uh, Arthur Smith's first year as offensive coordinator, made the Pro Bowl that year. He led the league in yards per attempt, air yards per attempt, and yards per completion. All wonderful fantasy things because he also led the league with a 117.5 quarterback rating that year. And also the next year that Arthur Smith was offensive coordinator, the, the, the Titans went 11 and five and Tannehill had another good year. So, okay, yeah, you're right. It didn't work out again in Atlanta where Arthur Smith's attention is being pulled in 10 different ways as the head coach and he's not allowed to just focus on the offense. But we have seen a track record that when he is able to focus on the offense, you get good things out of him. He also... I think this is worth noting too, is like he, he's taking orders now, you know, like yeah. Mike Tomlin has the power. One of the most respected coaches in the league. Has, he has the power to go to him and say, give the freaking ball to Najee Harris yes. or Jalen Warren, yes. or can we get some targets for Deontay Johnson this week? Like I'm telling you now, please do, please design the game plan this way. So, I mean, Pittsburgh, I think their skill players are, are sneaky good. Like I don't think, People don't think about it. And, and I'm not saying it's like an elite unit, but like Deontay Johnson. Uh, holy cow, I'm blanking. George Pickens. George, Jesus. I was say George Pickens. Pat Fryermuth. And then the two running backs, like not a bad jumping off point. The irony is going to be, what do you do at quarterback? Right. Same, is, it's the same problem that sunk Arthur Smith in Atlanta. So right. we'll see what happens there. But weirdly enough, it was the same problem that sunk Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. I mean, <laughs> Turns out having a quarterback is important. Quarterback. I hope, and it's nothing against Kenny Pickett. It's really not. But I hope the Steelers are ready to do something bold about fixing the quarterback situation. Like, Just listen to black and yellow like five different times, Mike Tomlin, and tell me you don't want to do something drastic. Like, Send a third-round pick to Chicago for Justin Fields. What could it what could Ooh, wow. Think, think about what Arthur Smith can do with, like, play action and with a dual-threat quarterback. Like, the bootleg stuff that he could get out of Justin Fields, like I legitimately I think say, it would be really good and really fun. So Mike Tomlin, do you want to have some fun? Please get Justin Fields in a Steelers uniform. Yeah, exactly. I love that song. We'll see where it goes. So many fun off-season storylines to talk about, but we're not quite in the off-season yet. We're, no? we're nearing the end of the show, but I do want to wrap up with some Super Bowl talk. Sure. Remember, it's the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. And you know what I want to... I feel like I've heard that before. A little bit of deja vu. I love of all... And I don't feel this way. I promise you. I am a professional, objective podcast host. I don't care who plays in the Super Bowl. I'm excited for it. But, like, this was the matchup America didn't want. Yeah, it was. The, the It was like, Ravens-Lions, please, please, please. please. Or at I, least Chiefs-Lions. No, no, no. Not going to happen. But you know what I'm interested about in particular with this game is the way the perceptions have totally done a 180 here. It's true. Over the last month. It's true. Because I said it after the AFC Championship game. Don't gaslight me. The Kansas City Chiefs were not a great team this year. No. Their defense has been strong. I get it. Their defense has been number two in the league all year. But like... Even then, you know, there, there are some head-scratching games there. They can't get any offense going against the Raiders on Christmas. Remember when they got tore up by the Green Bay Packers? Like, I remember sure do. this was a flawed team. Meanwhile, 
the 49ers just ran through everybody but Baltimore this year, really. Just and, and the Vikings, but okay. That was we all know <laughs> it was because Debo and Tritt were hurt. That's yes. the thing. Yes. They've been dominant all year. But then we get to the playoffs, and the Chiefs, the Chiefs run through the postseason. You can't say enough about it. Like, I firmly was in the camp of I want the Ravens to win this game under the but I am under no illusion that you should ever bet against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in the postseason. Just like rehash it in your brain. They held the Dolphins to seven points. Yeah. Which like we can call the Dolphins frauds. I get it. They didn't live up to the hype, but like to hold that offense to seven points, I don't care what the weather was. Between their ability to run and the fact that the Chiefs are not good against the run. And then the explosive ability in the pass game, hold them to seven points. Then you outduel Josh Allen yep. on the road. On the road. And then I don't care what the bo- what the scoreboard said. Like seventeen ten is cool. They dominated Baltimore. They did. The MVP. They were in control of that game the entire time. The best team in the league dominated them. Yep. Now flip over to the other side of this. Looks a little shaky for San Francisco. Yeah. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, they have had absolutely opposite experiences when it comes to the regular season versus the postseason, I do think people were not giving Green Bay enough credit, but I have the bias of covering them. So I have understood what that team became towards the end of the year and why they were all clicking and the fact that they have so many weapons and that makes them very hard to defend. I knew that that was going to be a close game. So I don't entirely fault San Francisco for that. Not to mention, who didn't they have, or at least not very much? Debo Samuel. And so then you go into this last game against the Lions, he makes a huge difference. And that's what you're going to see going forward. And honestly, the Niners weren't in control of that first half against the Lions, but that second half, they made the adjustments. Kyle Shanahan, you talk about not being able to bet against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in the postseason. Kyle Shanahan, with two weeks to prepare now, that's true, is going to have something completely different. If he can make those adjustments in the locker room, in 10 minutes in the locker room at halftime and come out and completely change that game, it was, he, can it, do, he can do it in two weeks. It too. was completely terrifying the way that they erased that deficit in 10 minutes of game 27 time. 27 unanswered points. Wild. But... Okay, they were still in that situation, though. And that's, okay, you you might have known that that Green Bay game was coming. Kudos to you. You're wonderful at your job. You called Jordan Love being awesome on this very show before the season. Sure did. You know who didn't think it was going to be close? Everybody else. Las Vegas, yeah. where they're playing where, the Super Bowl. Where they usually know things. They had the Niners favored by more than a touchdown yeah. in both of their playoff games. Yep. And it came down to the final minute in the first one, and they needed a second half rally in the second one. They won. I get it. I'm just looking. My my wonderful producer Justin gave me the stat right here. They were allowing 17 and a half points per game in the regular season, third in the NFL. You know how they're. they're I mean, I know it's only two games, but they're allowing 26 points per game. Yeah. I don't think you want to get into a shootout with Patrick with Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. And sure. based on what we've seen in the playoffs so far. I don't think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I don't either. And I also, you look at whatever, I don't know, if you if you can call it concerns on the defensive side of the ball for San Francisco, obviously a very dominating defense, right? They have had issues against the run. But that's not something that Kansas City has done really well this year either. 
True. So I, I don't know. It might. I could see it go both ways, to be quite honest with you. I know you just said it could be a high scoring game and it absolutely could be a shootout. But I could also see this being one of those sneaky defensive games that we saw. Think about when the Buccaneers and Chiefs played each other in 2020, where everybody was predicting this shootout between Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. And Tom Brady has all these weapons and Patrick Mahomes has all these weapons. What did, what did that end up being? It was I a defensive will, stand. I will go to my grave insisting that the Chiefs win that game with functional, with functional offensive, offensive tackle play. Linemen. Yeah, 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 yeah. They I had a ring out of it, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I know you were invested in the other half of that matchup, but <laughs> if Patrick Mahomes was not running for his life for even half of that game, instead of every time he got the snap, I think he might be going for a fourth ring right now. That's, but hey, that's the I'm, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, though, because the San Francisco offense has a lot of things that didn't have last time around. If we're talking about last time San Francisco was in the Super Bowl, which was 2019, he did not have Christian McCaffrey, who I think really elevates this team to the level it needs to be to win. That's they were they were so close in in 2019 and now you look at what CMC was able to do for this San Francisco offense for a Kyle Shanahan led offense. I mean, they were what first in yards per play, first in yards per pass this in they're, the regular season. They're like they've they're one of the most efficient offenses of the last 20 years. They were top 5 in both of those categories in 2019. But that little extra bump of them now leading the league is a lot, has a lot to do with the all, the plethora of weapons they have, and especially Christian McCaffrey. I have I have a feeling the Niners are going to commit to the run a little bit more than the Baltimore Ravens did the other day. But you're yeah. you're so good at your job, you're actually you're taking stuff from future shows because we're sorry. gonna we're gonna talk. You would be shocked, and don't give it away because we've got air to time to fill. But you would be shocked at how different these two teams are, and we're yes. going to get into it later as we get closer to the game. I know it was only four years ago. I know that the superstars are the same, but these are vastly, vastly different, different teams. teams. So I, I'm not going to take too much from Super Bowl Fifty Four as we try to project Super Bowl Fifty Eight. But we will get into all of that in the future. We got, we're, we're going to talk to to our guys that are going to Vegas on Friday. We got preview shows all next week. Plenty more Super Bowl content coming your way. But Carmen, thank you for, it's, it's, it's so much more fun going through the news cycle with a friend instead of just out here by myself. I, so I got you, you anytime, man. This is so much fun to come in here and do this. So. I appreciate it. Uh, well, if you haven't heard before. You can go find this show on Spotify, Ooh. Uh, Apple Podcasts. Ooh. You know what? I tell you to subscribe all the time. Leave a review if you want to. Five stars, like, preferably. But be be honest. Go with your heart, whatever. <laughs> uh, YouTube, you can subscribe there, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get your NFL news. We got you covered on the news front. I'm guessing there's going to be a Washington Commanders head coaching hire in the near future. We can resurvey the landscape once it's all set in stone. And, of course... So much more content about Super Bowl 58. We might even, like I said, we're going to do some draft stuff, too. Oh, you got the Senior so Bowl. You got the Shrine Game. Like, the stars of tomorrow are are practicing for the draft right now. If you can't get hyped for that, I, I can't help you out. But anyway, I'm rambling. Thank you so much to Carmen. Thank you all for listening. We will be back so, so soon with so much more content. And I'll talk to you all then. <laughs>